to the hospital to visit them. And let's see what we got here. There we go. The one on the right that looks like Andrea, that's Francesco. He came out first. And then Lucas is the one on the other side. So they, they, uh, they um, she uh, broke her water. They, ex- wanted, they thought they were going to have a C-section. But what happened was the water broke and they had to go to the hospital. And they got there and she was ready to start pushing. And they, she delivered in 45 minutes. Can you believe that? And they came six minutes apart. Yeah, so when we showed up, you guys know, most of you know I had a baby about uh, less than six months ago, about five months old, so we brought Charlotte with us. I brought a picture of that. She's like humongous. I'm like, I I thought she was small, you know, they just kind of grow without telling you. It's kind of like in secret, and then you bring them to like this, because that's how big she was when she was born. It's like this giant egghead there, and... uh, we had a great time with them, and they're home now, and they're, they're enjoying their life. But when we were there, we, um, we you know, it just reminded me, because it was only like five months ago that we had our own baby, and it just reminded me of the story when we were in the hospital. And, and a few weeks, a few months back, actually, uh, we were in the series called Covenant. I, I told you the beginning of the story of us rushing to the hospital because Carol's water broke, and the baby came four weeks early. So we were like, you know, uh, not, not sure what was going on. We ended up getting to the hospital. And when we got to the hospital, we made it in time. Um, she was in the, uh, we go to the, the, what's called the triage. And that's where they check out uh, the, the pregnant moms who come to the hospital. And they're checking just to see if, you know, it's not just gas or something, right? Indigestion. They're like, is this a real contraction? And so what they do is they take all the vitals and everything. And then they check to see how she's dilated. And Carol was dilated already four to five centimeters. Now, if you're not familiar, when you get to 10 centimeters, that's when you start pushing. So we're like, they're like, hey, this is going to happen soon. So let's get her into a birthing room. So we go into the birthing room and we're there. And uh, the nurse comes in. She's like, do you, do you want any medications? Do you want an epidural, all that stuff? And, um, and Carol's like, ah, you know, because we'd taken classes. We knew what it was. And we were kind of thinking if we can do it, then maybe we wouldn't. So, and she, all the time, she's like pushing against me with her fist every time a contraction comes. And they were only about a half a minute when they're usually supposed to be a minute. So she was like, the nurse, she's like, what are the contractions like? And the nurse is like, well, you're experiencing them right now. And she's like, I think I can do it. I think I can do those. And so I'm like, hold on a minute though, but don't you have to push at one point? I'm like, what is it like when you're doing the active birth? And, and the nurse goes, well, you're going to feel a different sensation. And it's called the ring of fire. You know, <laughs> really the ring of fire. <laughs> and I'm like, baby, are you up for the ring of fire? And she's like, we, like, again, we were, we, we were four weeks early. We, our minds were like, are we really here? It was, like, <laughs> we were, it was so surreal. We we're like, all right, I guess not. And she just had a Tylenol. So my wife gave a natural birth with, like, no medication. But, so, I mean, I'm very proud of her. And she deserves that. And uh, so when we, uh, she starts pushing, when it gets to the point where you start pushing and you get to 10 centimeters, you have to, like, you have to, like crunch up your body. And I'm not going to do it on the stage. That'd be embarrassing. But you got to get like, you know, your knees way up up here and hold them like that. So usually you get a person on either side to help out. So I'm on one side and her sister Julie's on the other. In fact, I got a picture of it. There she is. (laughs) We were bored between the contractions. (laughs) But uh, so I was kidding. That was very exciting. And we, so we're holding her and and I'm like, uh, I got one arm, you know, the leg here and the other one here. So you start to go. And then when the first one's going to happen, here's what the nurse instructs you to do. You're going to push like three different times. And each time you're going to take a deep breath and you count to 10. So it's like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 
10. Take a deep breath and do it again three times. I did that for a reason, how long that was, okay? So the first time comes, and we get her, and now I'm not very agile, like, I'm, uh, like uh, flexible, and neither is my wife, really. So, like, her, we're trying to get her in the position. I'm trying to, like, get everything in there, and she's like, her legs are everywhere, and she's like this, and she starts pushing, and she says, okay, count. And she's like, good. You can see it's like up here in her face, you know, not in the abdomen, because you're supposed to crunch up so that all the pressure's here, and that deep breath pushes the baby out, and she's like all up here. And she does it, the whole thing, one through ten. One through ten again, one through ten again, and then she ends, and she stops, and she goes, what? What happened? Where am I? And I'm like, baby, you were just pushing for like a minute right there. And she's like, I was? Okay, I'm awake. I'm awake now, and I'm ready. Let's do this. And I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> How could you not? You just, uh, I don't know, but let's just do it, okay? And I got into it, and, and you know, it was really a great experience because we, had, we, set, we brought the computer, and Julie put a set of worship songs. I think it was only like four, so they kept playing over and over for the next hour and a half. But Carol was like so like in euphoria. I don't know what happened when she woke up there. Maybe the Holy Spirit came inside of her, but she was just like, alive and between the contractions between the pre- the pushing she just starts singing the songs and praising God and then she's like I'm praying for this nurse and praying for the doctor and I'm not joking that's exactly what was happening and, and I pray for the doctor and, blah, blah, blah. and, she, and then she'd push again and then she'd start over again and it was such an amazing experience and then, then all of a sudden Charlotte's coming out right and and the head pops out and like when the head pops I'm like trying to get my mind about what I'm, around what I'm seeing. I'm like, is she in a sack? Is that her head? And then next thing, her head goes boom. And the next thing you know, boom, the whole body comes out. And you're like, whoa, that wasn't what I expected. And I see her and Carol's like, go, go to, go to Charlotte. And I, and I walk over and I'm telling you the minute, the minute I saw her, something just clicked inside of me. And this girl had me, this girl had me. I fell in love and it, yeah, and if you're a parent, if you're a dad, they tell you this is going to happen to you, and you're like, yeah, sure, I'm going to love my children. Of course I'm going to love my children, but I don't know what it is. It's a switch. God just flips, and man, I fell in love. In fact, the nurse, this is true, the nurse said to her, your husband just fell in love with another woman. <laughs> and man, I adore that baby. I adore her. And if you're a parent, you guys know that feeling. You know, you think about that child all the time, right? I mean, when I'm not there, I'm, I'm waiting. I'm excited to get home. I mean, we, you plan your life around that child. You plan your life around that baby. And when the baby cries, it like just breaks your heart, right? You're like, oh man, I'll do anything to get that to stop. I mean, when I, at night, when I get her and when I'm home, especially in the beginning, I'd walk by her and she'd be so still, so tiny and still. I mean, I'd have to check. I'd always check to see if she's breathing, right? Just walk in there to look and see, and listen or touch her body just to see if her, if her chest was moving. And uh, I think all of us are convinced when we have children that we would seriously, we would do anything for them, wouldn't we? We would do anything for them. And you know what that's called? It's called passion. We have a passion for that. We would do whatever it takes for our children. And I think passion happens when we get involved with something that's greater than ourselves, something that's bigger than you and I, that transcends who we are. It's like bringing life into the world and caring for it. That's just monumental. You know, movies about people who succeed in missions that are greater than themselves are the thing that inspire us, don't they? I mean, we're really into the film where they have to destroy the one ring that rules them all, right? Because it's evil and can take care of the world. So we're into that. We're, we're into the movie where they overcome the evil empire or the one that, uh, that the, the oppressed go free or where the hero fights for the people that can't fight for themselves. We, those are the things that inspire us because they're a part of a story that's greater than who they are. 
And we like to be a part of that. We like to watch it. We like to see it. You know, the Avengers, when they save the world from destruction, we're all there. We're all watching because we're excited about it because it's such a huge and giant story. I mean, think about it. Charities, charities, right, compel us. They compel us because they're often based on something that takes us outside of who we are into a greater story, into something bigger. Um, that you guys have heard of Charity Water, perhaps, and it was started by a guy named Scott Harrison because he was a nightclub promoter in New York City, and he went to Africa, and he saw all these people without water because he, he decided to change his life, and he was on this other ministry called Mercy Ships, and when he was there, he saw that all these health-related issues were, were occurring because people were drinking muddy and dirty water, and so he made it his mission in, in his ministry to raise money to bring wells to Africa, you know, there are 1 billion people living without clean water. And since 2006, 2.5 million have been given clean water because he had a burden. He had a mission. Tom's, you guys probably heard of Tom's. Their shoe, what it stands for is tomorrow shoes, but it really is supposed to be shoes for tomorrow. And uh, that was started, started by a man named Blake McCoskey. And in 2006, same thing. He went, but he went to South America. And when he was traveling in South America, he saw all these kids without shoes. And he saw that they're having trouble getting to school and they're getting all these infections. And he decided to start this shoe company. And he promotes this or sells a shoe made in Brazil that he sells to you and I. And every time we buy one, his slogan is one for one. When we buy one of his shoes, they give one pair to a kid in, in South America and in other countries. In fact, uh, one million pairs have been given out in 40 different countries since 2006 because he had this mission. Samaritan Purse is similar to that. You know, Franklin Graham is now the guy who, who heads that up, but it was a guy named Bob Pierce. And they've helped countless millions of people. They do disaster relief like in Haiti or in, in, uh, in uh, New Orleans and even in Oklahoma that just happened. They do that. They do Operation Christmas Child. Some of us probably made a, a Christmas Child box last year and to bring the gospel to the whole world. And they have this compelling vision to do something that's greater and that compels us and it makes us wonder a little bit what drives these people what what is the passion behind that i think we all like to have passion in our lives you know to find something so incredible so important that it's really will that it's worth us giving our all for it right we we, we desire that we hope for something like that something that's worth sacrificing for but sometimes i think in life we can feel a little bit passionless and we're still waiting maybe to find that story that inspires us. And we're like, God, when, when is that going to happen? You know, when, I wonder where that passion's going to come from that I'm seeking. And maybe today, if you're sitting here, maybe you feel like that. Maybe as I'm saying it, you're like, yeah, that, I, that makes sense. You know, in fact, I feel pretty like I'm kind of the passion is gone right now. Maybe the passion in your life or the passion about God or the passion about your family or the passion about fill in the blank. And you're like, I don't, I, where is that? then I want to say to you, you're in the right place today because we're going to talk about regaining that passion. That's what today's message is all about. You see, we're in a series that's called Becoming, The Road from Here to There. And it's a study from First Peter, First and Second Peter. And the idea is this, that God found us at one point in our lives, but he's taking us to another point in our lives. And this is the journey we're in, the road from here to there. You see, in that journey is a lifelong journey in which God is changing us, transforming you and I into the likeness of himself and his son. And so this is what this series is all about. 
And as much as we all desire to have passion, I want to let you know, we all desire to have passion stirring in us, so does God desire for you to be a person of passion. He desires for you to have a passion that you go after. He desires passion-driven people. Listen to what he says in the book of Revelation. It's up on the screen here. It says, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. God is saying, listen, lukewarm? Nobody likes lukewarm. That's like blah. That's like passionless. And he's saying, listen, I would rather have you passionate either for me or even against me. I would just rather see you passionate than have you lukewarm. And so God is saying, listen, be passionate in one way or another. We're going to read through 1 Peter chapter 4. If you have a Bible, just turn there, chapter 4. If you have uh, like a cell phone, you know, a, 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 a yeah, cell phone, and you can look it up on that or, or some kind of electric device, go ahead. The word is eluding me, but go ahead and pull that out. Because we're going to look today at four marks of a passionate life. And then we're going to talk a little bit about how to find it. So we're going to start reading right now in verse 7. It says this, But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. So take out your outline. I know you were handed one when you came in, and I want you to fill it out because we're going to talk about the four marks of a passionate life. Four marks of a passionate life, and the first one you can fill in is love. Love. Peter begins by instructing us to love. And actually, he uses very strong language. He says, above all things. Above everything. I mean, if there's something to aspire to, if there's a greater purpose in life, then most of us would agree that love is it, right? It's the thing that motivates us. And that's how Jesus actually responded when they said, hey, Jesus, what's the most important thing? I had it in your outline. It's, uh, on Ma- it's in verse, uh, Matthew. It says, then one of them, a lawyer, asked him, questioning, testing him and saying, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So these guys are gathering around these spiritual leaders and they, Jesus, what's the most important thing? And Jesus says, love, love God and love others. I think those who really don't know God or maybe don't believe in God also believe that love is probably one of the most, the best virtue. I mean, think about it. How many rock songs, how many songs, you know, romantic songs, whatever type of genre you like, country songs, how many of them are about love, right? It's like 90% are probably about love. All I need is love. I will always love you. Pride in the name of love. Those are the names of some songs. And if we went around the room, I bet every single one of us could name a different love song because the world also says, wow, this is an important virtue. The characteristic of any charity is having a love burden for something. They have a love burden. In fact, the word charity comes from the word caritas. Caritas, not carnitas. I know you guys love that, those, right? But think of that, it's just without the end, caritas. And caritas is that thing that drives us. It gives us hope. It keeps us going. Because love is the great motivator. Behind every great cause is love. I mean, love is the thing that keeps us up at night. We can't sleep because we're in love with somebody, right? It's the thing that will cause us to lose our appetite, love. It's the thing that can motivate us and move our bodies. And it can also spur us on to great things. You know, it's the motivator for one of the greatest acts a person can do. Forgive. And that's what Peter was saying here in the verses. He says, as he's quoting Proverbs, hatred 
stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. You see, we all sin against one another at one time or another. We make somebody angry. You do something, even if it's by accident, against them. And you know what is the thing that brings the two people back together? Love. Only love can do that. Only love can cover the sins we have between one another and God even. It's only love. No other thing can do that. And he's saying this is the highest thing. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 13, it's that verses that you always hear almost always in a wedding. You know, love is not boastful. Love is not proud. Love does this. Love, love is, never fails. Well, the end of those verses say this. All other things will pass away. Everything else will pass away. But then it says this. Three things will last forever. Faith, love, and hope. But the greatest of these is love. See, you guys have heard it at a wedding too. The greatest of these is love. Of all things, love. And when it comes down to passion in our life, love is an essential ingredient. I mean, it's the first thing that marks a passionate life, love. But Peter goes on. We'll pick it up in verse 10. It says, As each one has received a gift, minister to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The second thing, Mark, of a passionate life is influence. Influence. I mean, Peter here is talking about serving. But here's the thing about serving. Why do we serve? Because it's the opportunity to influence another life. I mean, if we thought about it, we all want to influence somebody's life, right? We want to influence maybe our children's life or our family's life or our boss's life. We want to influence somebody. We all want to influence someone. And we would even go out of our way to serve. And when we go out of our way to serve, we have the power of influence. That's what Samaritan's Purse is all about. You see, they go to these disaster areas not just to give humanitarian aid. They go there because they'll provide a house for people without a house. They'll provide food. They'll provide water. They'll provide shelter. But they do it all so that they can give them the gospel. So they can tell them the reason why we did this is because God wants you to know that he loves you and that he sent someone to die for your sins so you can be with him forever. That's why they do it. They serve so that they have the opportunity to influence. I mean, we witnessed this uh, firsthand. Back in 2004, Hurricane Charlie, I don't know if you guys remember that. The, that was a huge hurricane that destroyed Punta Gorda, pretty much. There was a Category 4 with 150-mile-an-hour winds. I got some pictures up here. These are actual pictures of Punta Gorda. Some of these houses just wiped away, just gone. Other ones still standing, trees down everywhere. I mean, it looked like a war zone. That was like in the middle, like the downtown area. Look at that building. All the block and everything just destroyed. And... It caused 10 deaths, this hurricane. In fact, it cost $15 billion. And to date, to date at 2006, it was the second largest costing hurricane. Now there's been a few more. It's down to seven now. Pastor Mark at that time put together a team of people to go. We have, uh, by the way, this house right here, before we move on. That house right there is a house that we're going to talk about a little bit more. But when you went through the streets, if you could get through the streets, every house had like the, the, ish, the, the insurance carrier written on it. That's a state farm. And then they said what they were going to do. At that particular house, they wanted to collapse. And this is a house that we ended up working on because it was in the historic district. But they would just write on it what they were going to do. And most of them said collapse on them. That's how bad it was. And we got our team. This is the team that we put together. And uh, Pastor Mark's in the blue. I'm a couple to the left. And there's a bunch of, a bunch of us there. And we all showed up. 
And Samaritan's Purse had their trailer there. And when we get there, they're like, okay, come back here for lunch, and we're going to give you some tools. Here's what's happened. We came to this area, and we notified all these people that we're going to come and give relief and help out. And so we got this list of people that want to go to their houses and help them. And so we're going to give you a couple of them. So they gave us some things, and then they started giving us tools. What do you need? Shovels? Okay, yeah. What do you need? Rakes, this, that, and the other thing. And I'm like, how about that chainsaw right there? And they're like... And they're like, sure. And I'm like, what? Really? You don't even need my ID? I'm like, okay. So I took this chainsaw and I went (laughs) to the homes and we just started cutting down brush. I mean, we cut literally trees that were like this big and we're dragging stuff out. We're clearing debris. I mean, these guys didn't know what they were going to do. They didn't know how they were going to do it. That house right there that we just saw, it didn't even have a roof on it. And we went inside and we cleaned it up and we got everything out of there. And we did it all so that we could share the gospel with them. At the end of the day, on this particular house, there's one more picture here. Here we are on the porch, and that's Pastor Mark. I'm right near him, and this guy here with with the towel around his neck. You know, we've been working all day, and he sees us working. And at the end of the day, we said, listen, we just wanted to tell you why a group of people would spend a day to come over here and help you. And it's because God wants you to know. He's sending us to tell you that he loves you. And we shared the gospel with this guy on the porch, and he started just bawling, crying. And I don't think he knew God. I don't know what it was, but we we were able to give him a New Testament. And and I'm not sure if he prayed. I know a lot of the other guys prayed to receive Jesus, but we gave him a Bible and and just just put him in the right direction. And it was the opportunity when we serve and we use our gifts to influence another person. That's why Peter is encouraging us to use our gifts because serving moves people. They're moved by our charitable acts of service, and it gives us the opportunity to influence them. You know, no one's influenced by the person that doesn't share, right? We don't want to be that person. We're not, like, inspired by that person. We're not inspired by the person that sits and does nothing. That's not the person that we go, I want to be like them. Unless we're watching the Heat game tomorrow night, tonight. We'll all pray about that later. Listen, the thing that inspires us is the person using what they have to participate in a greater story. In a story that's outside of themselves. You see, that's what happens when we serve. It's not about us anymore. It's about someone else. It's something bigger than us. Jesus put it this way. It's in Matthew. I want you to see this verse. It says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on the hill cannot be hidden, nor do you light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your, God, to your Father who is in heaven. You know, the interesting thing about this verse is Jesus didn't say if. He didn't say if you are the light of the world. He didn't say, well, if you feel like being the salt of the earth, does he? No, he says you are the light of the world and the salt of the earth. See, that's the way you and I have been created. God created us to be these things. Listen, I want want you to do something here. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, I am the salt of the earth. And now look back and say, I am the light of the world. (laughs) Maybe that felt funny, right? You're like, wow, really? (laughs) But think about that. That's what God is saying to us. Again, Jesus didn't say if. He says, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. You see, we are meant to work in this world and influence other people. I still remember that day that we went to Punta Gorda. And 
we left at like four in the morning. Al Padron, if he's here, we, I went in his pickup truck. There was a few of us in there. I remember it was still dark out and it, everybody's still wiping the sleepy seeds out of their eyes. But man, we were so excited to go. And we worked a full eight hours. Even the women, I mean, I couldn't believe the women. I was like, no, don't carry that. I mean, there was debris from other people's yards, from other people's houses, these giant metal frames. There was, there was trees, there was brush, there was everything. And they're piling it up. We piled it to the edge of the road, 10 feet high or more. You couldn't even see when you drove down because the, the waste people wouldn't come onto your yard, but they would go onto the swale. So you had to bring it there. And everybody's working hard and not one person even complained. And we were exhausted, but we were so excited that we were able to serve because serving with our talents not only influences others, but it also fuels our passion. You see, when you serve somebody else, when you're helping out somebody else, that's the thing that we get excited about. I mean, at first we say, I don't want to help out. But when we start doing it, it's the thing that begins to fuel the passion inside of us. So that's the second thing. Let's read uh, from Peter chapter 12. It says, verse 12, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. This third thing I want you to note about the marks of a passionate life is sacrifice. Sacrifice. All of us have probably gone out of our way to find something we care deeply about, right? To go and do something that we care about. I mean... Maybe you stood in line for hours overnight to get tickets to your concert or an event. Or you, you drove like two, one or two hours, right? Or even more for that boyfriend or for that girlfriend just so you could see them. Or you scrimped and saved enough money so that you could buy that car because we thought it was worth it. We thought it was worthy of doing. You know, it's interesting what we will do when we think something is worth it. I love Chick-fil-A. And uh, it's true. And we moved our offices. We're now in Miramar, but we were in Miami Lakes. And the Chick-fil-A, does anyone remember? The Chick-fil-A opened up there on 57th by the Home Depot like about three or four years ago. And I don't know if you know this, but when a Chick-fil-A opens up a store, they give free meals, a year of free meals to the first hundred customers. It's true. It's the first hundred customers. So here's what they do because they know there's going to be like a mad rush. Although Hialeah hadn't caught up yet to this, so it was a little bit easier. It's, it's so exciting for people, actually. There's a group called The Herd. They, literally, they're called The Herd, you know, because they have a cow. And it's called The Herd that follow up openings <clears throat> just so they can be one of the, the be, I think they don't have jobs or something, just so they can get a year full of meals. I mean, think about that. I don't even know what they do with all those tickets. They must be, it's got to be coming out of their ears. But uh, I found out about it being opened up. And, a day, and after work, I decided I'm going to go down there because what they do is they give 24 hours. So... 24 hours before they open. If they open at 7 the next morning, then 7 before they start the line. And because you, it's hard to stand in the line, they actually they quadrant off this section in the parking lot where you have to, once you get in line, you can't leave that space. You can't even go to your car if it's two feet away to get anything. So after work, I'm like, man, I, maybe I can go do this. So I ran over there. I drove over there. I parked my car and I get in there and they found out I was number 98. So I'm like, all right. Hey, but you can't leave that line, that line. I'm like, oh man. 
So I call up my wife, Caroline, and I'm like, hey, baby, listen, I just want you to know this is happening. She's like, oh, really? I'm like, yeah, can you bring me a pillow and some pillowcases and some toiletries and a tent? And she's like, sure. So she comes on down, she brings it, and then she gets in line, but she's like an alternate. She becomes an alternate and because they accept so many alternates because if people leave, they lose their spot in line, so someone gets to fill it. And then people from like the youth group had heard about it, and they had it that night, so they start coming over. I mean, and, and George, our worship leader, came, and Johnny the guy you see running around all the time fixing things. He was there, and, and Joel, who went to New York. All these people were there. They came, and they stayed. We all stayed overnight and slept out under the stars or, or makeshift tent. And uh, it was like all these people, 100 people, crazy enough to sit in a parking lot all night so they can get 100 free meals. Here was a picture of us the next day. This cow, the cow with that little bell at 5 in the morning started ding, 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 all around, waking everybody up, and no one got a good night's sleep anyway. And, uh, well, we made it in line. Here's Carol's rejoicing dance. Let's see. I got to sleep last night. There she is. Raise your hand if you got Dancing with, with the cow. She's the best. <laughs> Listen, we were really willing to go through a lot because we thought it was worth it. And, you know, if you love something, you're willing to go through a lot to achieve it. And that's what Peter's talking about. That's why he uses these, these words. He says, don't think it's strange. He starts off by saying, listen, don't think it's strange for what you're going to go through. Don't think it's odd because we all know we sacrifice for what we believe in, right? We all know that. And if we think it's worth it, we'll be willing to sacrifice and suffer for it. Sometimes when we hear about suffering for Jesus, we think, man, or I think at least, that's a tough thing, man. How do people go through this? You know, that's a lot to ask of a person. But the truth is, we make these kind of calls all the time in our life, what we're going to sacrifice for. It just depends on how much we think it's worth it. You see, the value of the object determines how much we're going to suffer or how much we're willing to go through for it. I mean, actually, any person who bought an Apple, right, an Apple product, they're going to pay twice as much or more. Why? Because they think it's worth it. They're going to sacrifice someplace else. They're going to save up some extra money, work some extra hours just so they can buy that one thing. Right? They're going to forego purchasing something so that they can use that money to get what it is that they wanted. You see, anything that we think is worth it, we're, we're willing to suffer for it. We're willing to sacrifice for it. There's an interesting thing that happens, you know, when a mother gives birth to a child. They go through some crazy stuff by choice. I mean, I saw some things, you know, when she was giving birth that made me so proud of her. I couldn't believe that she was willing to go through what she went through. But, you know, there's other things that they go through for nine months, right? Weight gain, stretch marks, swelling, sleeping, sitting up. I mean, I'd wake up at night and she's like this in the bed, sleeping up. I'm like, poor baby. (laughs) Sleepless nights, mood swings, nausea, back pain, hair loss, right? And they choose it because they think it's worth it. They endure it all. You know, Jesus, when he was going to go away to the cross and his disciples, he's kind of preparing them for it. He says, I'm going to leave and you're going to feel some sorrow. He compared it to this very thing. Check it out. This is what he says. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a human being has been born into the world. Therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and you and your joy no one will take from you. 
He's like, you know, when they, the woman goes through all of that because of the joy, because of the thing that she thinks is worth it. I think the question is not, how much will I have to suffer for following Jesus? The question is, is it worth it? Is it worth it? How much do you value Jesus? That will determine how much you will suffer for him. The question really can be applied to any area of our lives, to that maybe that marriage that's kind of crumbling. How much do you value it? Or what about telling your friends and family or coworkers about Jesus? How much do you actually value the message that God has given us? Because we know it's not easy to start talking about God to some people, right? Start that conversation. It's embarrassing. It might be difficult. It's out of our comfort zone. But are we willing to do those things? Caring for others or helping them is always going out of our ways. We will do them, though, if we think it's worth it. Most likely what God calls you to do in life, it will come and cause you to suffer and sacrifice. That's just the way life is. And here's the thing. All great stories that are worth telling do. You watch those movies and you see all that they go through so you can get to the end and they have this awesome, amazing result that's just so incredible and you're like, it was worth it. And if the story that you want to tell and the story that you want to be a part of is going to be great, then you're going to have to go through some sacrifice and suffering. And the truth is, passion will always drive us to sacrifice and suffer. But let me say this too, just so you are aware. The world's path without the greater story is also going to cause us to sacrifice and suffer. Except it doesn't come with the great reward. Let's move to the last verses in verse 17. It says this, For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. The fourth thing of Mark of a passionate life is this commitment, commitment. Passion stirs commitment, right? Passion stirs us to get involved and to commit to something and do something. That's what passion does. But can I also tell you this, that commitment stirs our passion? The thing that we decide to get involved in, the thing that we decide to put our resources toward stirs our passion. We begins to grow on us. It begins to be something that we put our life and sweat and effort into. And we go, wow, this has become worth it to me. This is the thing. That's what Jesus said in Matthew. He said, he puts it this way, for where your treasure is, where you put your treasure, where you put your efforts in your time, there your heart will be also. He's saying when you put something, when you commit to something, your passion will begin to follow it. The things we value and put worth in are the things we will pursue. Is any, I'm sure almost everyone here, have you heard of the movie called The Passion of the Christ? Yeah. It came out in 2004. And uh, when we were meeting in Cobb Theaters in Main, on Main Street in Miami Lakes, and what we did on the Friday opening night is we went to the theater before, well, before and we said, listen, we want to buy the seats for all of the biggest theaters that you have. And we had like two or three different ones, and we had different showings, and we sold those tickets to the people in our congregation. We said, now take those tickets and go bring a friend. And so the place got packed. And Pastor Bob, at the end of each one, because we had bought out the theater, was able to walk up and share the gospel with those people that had come. And many people who had brought by a friend actually came and prayed to know Jesus. But if you look up the word passion 
in any dictionary, one of the definitions is this. The sufferings of Christ between the, the night of the Last Supper and his death. You know, th- we know that there was a part of Jesus that wasn't looking forward to the cross. There was a part of him when he prayed. He says, you know, if, he, if, this, if this cup can pass from me, this suffering part, this part, I, don't, I, I would like it to not be there. I would like to not do that. But here's the thing. He was so developed. He was so into his mission. He was so committed that he went anyway. Listen to this verse. It's in Luke. It says, Now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up. When Jesus said, This is my time. Now is my time. I need to go to Jerusalem. I need to be crucified. That he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. He said, This is my time. I'm committed. I'm going no matter what. Because he was on the greatest mission that any one of us could be on. He was going to save the world. And Jesus, although he said, I'm going to have to go through all the suffering that I don't want to endure, that I don't particularly want to go through, I'm going to go through because the mission, the story, God's story is so much greater. And so he said he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Another translation says, set his face like flint, like stone. Like nothing was going to move him. Not a single thing was going to move him from getting to the mission that God had called him on. That's passion. That's what passion is. Being so committed because you saw the greater story. You know, passion has to begin with something greater than ourselves. It can't just be like us. It has to be something greater, something bigger than you and me. That those are the things that stir our passion. Just like we said about the charities and about the movies. It's those things that are greater outside of us, that are bigger than us, that inspire us. You know, that's why Peter in here says, let him glorify God. In fact, four times in these 12 verses, he says, so that you may glorify God. Because we do it not for ourselves, but because there's a greater story being told. It's a God story. And there's nothing greater than the God story of all stories. To be swept away in the greatest story of all, to be a part of it. The Apostle Peter keeps encouraging us in these verses. Let me ask you a question. Is the vision that you have great enough? You know, sometimes we want to get invited into that story. Maybe you're thinking, how do I get involved in the God story? What is the God story? And I'll be honest, I don't even know what it looks like for each and every one of you. But I know the direction. We were talking last, on Friday night, at the tribe experience that we have here. And we were talking about taking your next step, really your first step toward God. And the idea is that it was that you take it, it was called a journey of a thousand miles begins with the first step. Even something so overwhelming, maybe we don't even know what the end looks like, begins with the first step that we take. And for you, maybe today is like, I don't know, but I do want to be in maybe a bigger story. I want you to pull out your connection card for a minute. I mean, we have people fill this out every week, and maybe sometimes we forget really the purpose, even though we say it, is that there are steps here toward God on the back of it. And like each, every one of you each week has an opportunity to step closer to God and find out what God wants to do in your life and become a part of the bigger story. Maybe for you, it's to become more entwined in what God's doing through this church by going to the membership class and saying, yeah, I want to get on mission with God's doing here. Or maybe it's, I got to just step closer to God and see what my next steps are with him. And you want to be baptized. 
Or maybe it's to sign up for a growth group and say, I'm going to be around a group and a community of believers. I don't know where we're going and I don't want my know what my next step is, but like I can at least begin to grow. Or maybe it's to serve. Maybe it's to step outside yourself and say, you know what? I've been thinking about it. I see people doing it. Why don't I just start serving here and see what God's going to do and use the gifts and the talents that God has given me to influence others and start really seeing what God will do. And listen, there's something that's not on here. We're going to do a trip an Oklahoma relief trip, mission trip, stuff we've been talking about today. And if you want to know more about it, just write Oklahoma, right where it says prayer request. It's a missions trip. And uh, we're going to bring relief to that area that got killed by tornadoes. I met with a man in our church about a week and a half ago. And uh, I had done his marriage. I married them. And um, I just, they serve here. And uh, I got to know him through that. We, we hung out, my wife and I, and his wife and him. And, and the more I, I saw him, I just saw this passion that he had inside his heart for God. And, and I saw that he had these amazing gifts and talents. And I was thinking to myself, God, this guy, this guy has a, a God story in him. And God wants to do something great in him. And I'm not saying I'm a prophet. I don't say that. But I think it was just obvious if you see it. And so I invited him out to lunch the other week. And, and we're talking. And, and I said, here, this is the reason why I told you. Because I just see that God, I just, you know, you can take it for whatever, but I just see God moving in your life. Again, the passion you have, the gifts that you have, and I can see you being used greatly by God if you'll let him. And so we sat there and we talked, and, and man, he was like, you know, he says, uh, when I was younger, when I was a kid, you know, in my younger years, some people prayed for me, and they were like prophets, and they were saying, well, um, you know, God's going to do something in your life. He, he had some things that he said, and, and I was like, well, and he goes, maybe, you know, maybe this is God, you know, engaging me again. And as we sat and we talked, I, you know, I said, I invited him to, to serve at the office for a half a day a week. And he says, you know what, I'm going to take a half a day off from work, my job, my career, and I'm going to serve at the office, and we're going to start him on a path to see where God has for him. And I don't know what the end of his path is, but I'm see that he's taking that next step. And you know, when he said that story, it reminded me of my story. And I bet when you heard that, you were thinking some of the same thing, because you know what? God calls us right from the beginning. He invites us into his greater story, not our small story. When I was younger, the same thing happened to me. I heard God's calling, but here's what happened. The world got a little smaller as I got a little bigger and I started to see what was in the world. So I'd say, yeah, this is interesting to me. Let me just check that out. Let me just check that out. And it's just, you know, I hear it most of the time. I hear it's a very similar story for all of us. We heard God at one point calling us, but then the world, we heard the world and we ended up doing some of the things of the world. And then we get to this point where we finally realize that the world does not really have the story that we're looking for. It's not the thing that's going to drive our passion. And so we go, I need to get back to the God story. You know, maybe that's you. You know, what, what is it that you're pursuing today? Has it lost its passion? You know, the things that we thought were going to bring us the joy or it's going to bring us something. Could it be that somewhere along the line, we started in the right place, but we somehow got caught up in the lesser story. We got caught up in our story. And we kind of got lost in what was really worth pursuing. And maybe we've been directing our passion in the wrong place. We're trying to climb the corporate ladder. We're trying to achieve a certain lifestyle. And it's all about us. It's all about pursuing personal dreams that are self-centered. 
And those are the things that ultimately are not going to fuel your passion. When we arrive, if we even arrive, that's all there is. Because they weren't meant to be the end of themselves. We weren't meant to be self-centered. God created us to be something so much bigger and he wants us wrapped up in his story. Because those things that we seek that are just self-centered will never satisfy because there's no greater purpose in them. I don't know how I started watching this. I, I saw like a link for like a, um, for this uh, plane that almost crashed. And I clicked on it. It's actually, I thought it was a two months old. It's, it was like two years old. It happened in 2011. And as I'm listening, watching the video, what happened was there was this Polish Airlines plane that took off from Newark, New Jersey, and flew to Poland. And somewhere in the middle, they found out that their landing gear didn't work. So when they get there and they can't land, you know, they can't get the landing gear down, they're, they're just flying up for a couple hours. And when they realize, listen, this landing gear is not going to come down. We're going to run out of fuel. We're going to need to land this plane. They call them to come in, and there they go to land the plane on the tarmac. And people knew what was going on inside the cabin. So there's all sorts of video they're showing on this, you know, people's things. And people are getting in the crass position. They're calling home. Forget what the FCC says about using my phone at this point. You know, all bets are off. This is it. We're going to die. That's what they were thinking. Without landing gear, that thing's going to hit, flip over. We're going to burn and explode all of a sudden right there. Big ball of fire. And so they're all in the crowd's position and they interviewed this one guy in English, a guy from America, an American. And he says, he goes, listen, I thought I was going to die. You know, he's got video and that plane comes down and it slides so smoothly and it goes to a stop. And the, there's video, the stewardess screaming at people, get off, it can explode. Boom, they go off the slides, everybody gets off. It never ends up exploding. And they all live, not a scratch on any of them. And this guy's like, man, I thought I was going to die. And here's what was the interesting thing I thought about the video. He says, you know, suddenly when I got home, I realized what was most important to me. Suddenly I realized what I needed to be doing to love my family more. And I think Peter is trying to reach some of us that may have gotten a little sidetracked. You know, we find out what's really important in life when we run out of resources. When you run out of money, you suddenly decide what's most important to spend the last money that you have on. When you run out of time, you suddenly decide what's most important to spend your life on. And I think that's why Peter started this whole thing by saying this, the end of all things is at hand. The end of all things is at hand. What would you do if you knew you only had two weeks to live? What would you do? Well, let's say two months to live. What would you not be doing right now? Not coming to church, but in your life, what would you not be doing? What would you be saying? This isn't worth it anymore. You know what's worth it? My family is worth it. Suddenly, the things in life that are important would become crystal clear, wouldn't they? It would just be crystal clear for all of us to see. And because we somehow got caught up in a small story, in our own story, and somehow we got blinded, somehow it became blurry and we just got lost instead of being part of the greater story, the God story, the big story. Listen, you would rush to be a significant part of your family's lives, wouldn't you? You'd be doing everything you could in those last days. You'd scramble to make things right with people that you have a broken relationship with. You would do that right away. You wouldn't wait. 
You wouldn't be, oh, that's too big of an issue. Oh, I'm just, I don't know, I'm ready. You would do it. Because you would see suddenly what is so important and what the story that we need to be a part of. You would tell the people daily how much you love them. And you know what? You would straighten out your relationship with God, wouldn't you? Man, I got to get things right because I'm about to meet him. And suddenly we'd see everything that with clarity, what we should do. And we'd do all of it. Think about this. We would do all of it with a passion, wouldn't we? We would give everything we could. We'd sacrifice anything to get those little goals, big goals really accomplished. So maybe right today, maybe we need to take an inventory of our lives and start looking at what's most important. And we ask ourselves a really tough question. Those things that are important to me, Am I pursuing them with passion? Am I pursuing them with passion? We all think we have more time. And I'm not saying like tomorrow is your day. I'm just saying that we always say that. Oh, I can do that later. Oh, I can do that in another few years. You know what happens? A few years keeps going by and it becomes more than a few years. It becomes multiple years. And we wake up at the end of it and we realize how that time just slipped away. And the things that we did produce in life didn't amount to what we had hoped because we stayed in our story. We stayed in the small story, not the great God story, the savior of the world story that he'd been calling us to. You see, we can have that type of life where we stay in ours or we can be part of a bigger story. So I'm going to invite you guys to stand right now and the band's going to come out and they're going to play. And um, so I don't know where you, your story's going to lead today from here. I don't know what God's got planned for each and every one of you. I don't know where he's going to take you. But I know this. He's inviting each of us to be a part of it. He's inviting each and every one of us to get on board with his story and say, he'll take care of my story. I don't know where you'll end, but I do know where it begins. And it begins with coming to know Jesus Christ. And I know there's some people here, maybe... They have never made that decision. And maybe you didn't understand even what it means to come to Jesus. It's simply this, that all of us, no matter who we are, we've been born into this world. We came into this world and we all sinned. We've missed the mark when it comes to God. And that's caused a separation. And the only way for that, for us to be with God, is that that sacrifice that Jesus was so passionate about, that amazing story that he was committed to, It's only through him and his death on the cross covering our sin by which we're saved. And when we say your first step is to accept Jesus, it's by faith that we say, Jesus, I know you died on the cross and I'm trusting in you for salvation. Forgive me of my sins. That's simply it. What I'm going to do right now is I'm going to ask you, the band's going to play. I'm just going to ask you to walk forward, come down here because your journey today, if you want to be part of the bigger story, begins right here, right at the foot of the cross on our hands and knees trusting in our Lord and our God who's going to take us there. So as they play, and that's you, I want you to walk forward because we're going to pray.